stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Welcome to this hour of the program. Rob Breckenridge with you here on this Tuesday morning along the Chorus Radio Network. We'll have more time for your calls uh, coming up later in this hour as well. We'll talk about this whole idea of, of regulating companies like Facebook and Google. And, and this is all a dispute over news stories and news links and news revenue. Australia thought, you know, we're going to go after Facebook. We're going to get them to cough up a little bit more. Facebook said, no, you're not. And they put all kinds of, of barriers in place when it came to, to uh, users in Australia accessing uh, news on Facebook. Seems like they've resolved that, but is that the path Canada should go down? We'll talk about that. Uh, off the top in this hour, and this gets back to the issue of uh, foreign policy and uh, the government's direction on foreign policy, whether there's a coherent approach on foreign policy, uh, what are we going to do about the situation in Myanmar? Uh, as you probably know, and maybe you've seen there's there's one kind of iconic uh, image that's been going around, almost taken on a, a meme sense to it, where there's a woman leading like this kind of dance fitness class on, on this um, pedestal kind of. And, and in behind her, you see these these military trucks moving toward the capital. And this was the, the coup essentially there that uh, took place a few weeks ago. Story uh, this week here, it says protesters gathered in Myanmar's biggest city on Monday, despite the ruling uh, Junta's threat to use lethal force against people who joined a general strike against the military's takeover three weeks ago. Got the story this morning, though, uh, that Canada is uh, looking to impose sanctions on, uh, on Myanmar, specifically uh, certain officials there. But do we need to do more? What is the concern about the situation? Where are things headed in Myanmar? Joining us uh, for some thoughts as someone who's uh, a close observer of what's happening in uh, that part of the world. Very pleased to welcome to the program here this morning, James Trottier, uh, who is a, a fellow of the Canadian Global Affairs Institute, a lawyer, former career Canadian diplomat. Uh, James, thanks so much for making some time for us here today. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, in terms of, of level of concern here, in terms of where things are headed, what it could mean for, for people there, and, and how Canada should respond, where, where's your concern level at? I spent five years um, uh, going to uh, Myanmar uh, for uh, as the political counselor of the uh, Canadian embassy. And um, so in a lot of ways, this is a return to the, uh, to the past. Um, and the past was uh, uh, bloody. Um, with uh, crackdowns by the military in 1988 and in in 2008, so that's one route that that uh, the military could pursue. Um, the second route is negotiations and some sort of face-saving um, um, agreement with uh, Aung San Suu Kyi and the uh, democracy movement. Uh, but their but their track record of the military in. Um, uh, in Myanmar is that they've rarely uh, missed an opportunity to take a hardline approach. So let's take a step back then. What, what, were, what were the circumstances then that led to this coup? And is it, is it right to call it a coup? I mean, it certainly seems in, in it, all senses like it was one. It, it's, a, it's a classic coup with, uh, yeah. with uh, midnight, well, not midnight arrest, but pre-dawn arrest of the uh, leadership, uh, Aung San Suu Kyi and her colleagues, and then um, uh, takeover of the communications facilities and key ministries, uh, etc. Um, so it, it, it was a it has all the hallmarks of a classic coup, and, and 
basically the evolution of this or why they chose to act at this time was they just had an election uh, in November, which um, Aung San Suu Kyi's uh, National League for Democracy won overwhelmingly, 83%, including, I might add, um, a lot of votes in military areas where military families were voting, as well as uh, civil service votes. So she got 83% of the of the popular vote. The military had their own party, and um, as usual, their own party lost. And then they call they called uh, fraud, and uh, and they moved uh, they moved against her just the day before Parliament was to meet. But this is an old story because, um, as you know, she was under house arrest for off and on for 15 years. Uh, and uh, often, uh, apart from that, uh, barred from the political process. They opened up the political process to the opposition in 2010 and 2011, but they never were genuine in that. They always intended to keep her and her party uh, under control, but they haven't been able to break the hold that she has over the population, and that enrages the military, who frankly cannot stand her. She's a woman, she's a civilian, and she's, a, um, she's the glaring uh, sort of figure uh, of opposition to their, to their rule. So uh, this was kind of the, the election in November for them was the, final, was the final break. But I think that in this case, they may have, they may have bitten off uh, more than they can chew because I think that, as I said, it's, a, it's kind of a return to the past, the repression of the past, but this is a, a different past. It's a digitalized Pass with a very uh, uh, tech-savvy um, uh, population, especially among among young people who, as you see, are out in the streets in uh, in force. You know, it's interesting because you know certainly there was the debate in Ottawa yesterday about uh, the situation in China and, and the Uyghur Muslim population. I suppose there's a, there's a parallel of sorts in Myanmar regarding uh, the Rohingya, the uh, the Muslim minority in in Myanmar, and. You know, the situation prior to this coup is that, um, you know, the, the government of Myanmar, and there was such promise. I mean, um, you know, you talk about uh, Xu Ji, and this is someone who had won the Nobel Peace Prize. We, we'd made her a, an honorary citizen of this country. And, you know, certainly the last few years, our, our view has shifted considerably. So are we now in a position where, you know, we're, we're, we're back to defending her? And are we overlooking the, the issues of the last few years? Not overlooking, but but I think that the coup uh, puts things in perspective, and it shows just what she's up against. Um, uh, basically, in dealing with the tragedy of the Rohingya situation, she was uh, faced between a rock and a hard place. Uh, she, she, there was basically a wedge issue for for the military. They knew that they uh, either she could uh, oppose their activities in the Rohingya area, and that would lose the support of the. Burmese population who are uh, unfortunately ferociously anti-Rohingya, or um, she could um, uh, not oppose them, and then she would lose the support of the international community. So this is exactly the box that they, they wanted to put her in. They've always wanted to put her in. And I think that, you know, the international community um, had uh, unfortunately elevated her to the position of a, of a secular saint at a certain point, <laughs> and she's not a secular saint. She's a she's a uh, you know she's a politician and a and a leader of her people. And so um, uh, her fall from grace was sort of proportional to her earlier elevation. She went from she went from heaven in the international communities 
uh, eyes to to hell. But the the reality is that she is a, a leader of her population, uh, but not a flawless leader. And one of her blind spots is the Rohingya population. It's a blind spot for the for the Burmese population. But as I said earlier, there, right now we're at a junction. The military can either will either go down one route, and they will suppress the popular uprising with blood on the streets. In 1988, there were thousands who were killed in the, in the crackdown then. Or they will enter into negotiations with none other than Aung San Suu Kyi, and, and this time, again, she'll be dealing with the devil, in a sense. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I think that the international community has to get real and has to realize that that's a real politic in that country. You either deal with the military or you don't, and then, and then you end up um, uh, with the uprising being suppressed in the streets. So. So both short-term and long-term, then, looking at our approach to, to the situation there, I mean, we do have, at least in the short-term, some tools at our disposal, sh- sanctions in particular, Magnitsky law sanctions, we can target certain individuals. D- does that seem like a good place to start, or what would you like to see? It's a, it's a good place to start, but I think the international community as a whole has to take um, uh, a very active role, and I think um, uh, Joe Biden and the American administration and his administration is in a position to, to take a, a leadership uh, role in this. And I think that um, it has to be brought home to the generals that uh, they, they have a choice. They can either perpetuate their own rule, or they can, uh, which means total isolation, which can mean total isolation of, uh, of, uh, of Myanmar, including um, tech isolation. Um, or they can um, look for, uh, take a step back, and, and, and adjust their uh, approach and adjust their, their policy. And, you know, as I said, in, in the past, there's been this uh, tendency to take a hard-line stance, but there's also been a, a, another uh, tendency at other stages to, to, to actually negotiate, and that's how Aung San Suu Kyi came to at least share power as a junior partner with the with the military uh, in uh, 2015, um, so they have they have a choice, and I think the gov- I think the international community, including Canada, should uh, push and prod the military to go down one route and and not the other route. Well, what about these protests or this talk of a you know a spring revolution? I mean, how how real is this movement, and does it it's, to a certain extent represent uh, almost a, a third side in all of this, as opposed to uh, you know the government versus the military? I mean, are, are we taking the the side of the citizenry here? How do we factor? Well, the, the, and the citizen the citizenry is totally behind Aung San Suu Kyi and okay. and and her movement. I mean, this is not a breakaway. This is not a third force. This is this is solidly for uh, her and 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 her party, um, and as a, a, again, uh, the military in the past have uh, cracked down on such protests. And in 2008, they shot monks in the streets who were protesting, monks and students. This time, the um, protests are actually uh, more wide, more widely based. So you have. Um, 75% of civil servants are reported to be out. Uh, bankers are out. Uh, medical staff in hospitals are out. Uh, uh, technicians are out. Railway workers are out. So you have this mass, this mass uh, uprising. But uh, there's a monopoly of force in in, Bur- in Myanmar, and it's the military who has that monopoly. They have the guns on on their side if they choose if they choose to uh, to do that but it, it will be at the price of total um, uh, isolation and economic uh, and, and economic i wouldn't say collapse but but uh, 
economic stagnation for years to come for them, just at a time when when Myanmar has been trying to kind of emerge into um, the Southeast Asia uh, uh, economic space. Well, we'll see where that all goes from here. James, appreciate your insight, and uh, thanks for making some time for us here today. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right, all the best. James Trottier at the uh, Canadian Global Affairs Institute. He's a fellow there, uh, former career Canadian diplomat, and certainly has worked uh, in uh, Myanmar. So some interesting insight on the situation there and maybe how Canada and other countries need to deal with that. Uh, we'll take a break here. Plenty more to get to on the Tuesday edition of the program. Rob Breckenridge sitting in. You're listening to the Chorus Radio Network. Welcome back. Rob Breckenridge with you on a Tuesday morning uh, on the Chorus Radio Network. Filling in this week and next week. Uh, so I'm not the replacement here, folks. Uh, I've got my show uh, in the afternoon, at least uh, in, in Calgary, I guess uh, folks might know that. Uh, so I'll be in this time slot for this week and next week, and then, well, I'm not sure what then. Uh, but anyway, we, we still got a lot to get to today and uh, over the next couple of weeks. But uh, the phone number here in Calgary, 403-974-8255. In Edmonton, 780-496-0063. Uh, we will have some time at uh, 1130 for phone calls. Uh, coming up after 1030, we'll talk about this idea of regulating Facebook and, and Google. What does the Australia experience uh, tell us about that approach? And certainly everything we've heard from Canada's uh, heritage minister uh, suggests that we're, we're hell-bent on emulating what Australia did. But is that, maybe it's a good idea. Maybe it's not. I don't know. We'll talk about that coming up uh, after 1030. And um, after 11 o'clock, as mentioned, some really interesting new research on, uh, on sleep and dreams and the uh, idea that you can communicate with somebody who's, who's in a dream state, this so-called lucid dream state, in this uh, research project that found that people in that state were actually able to respond to some questions. And, and the funny thing about it, and maybe you've had that, where... I know there are times where, you know, like uh, your alarm's going off and a song's playing and, and the song kind of works its way into your dream. It's the same kind of thing. So participants in this study sort of reported that, that when you were asking me those questions, it was all in the context of a dream. Like the question was coming out of a radio. The question was coming out of the mouth of, of somebody you were talking to in your dream. But despite it all, you were still kind of aware that you were dreaming. So we'll talk about that coming up uh, after 11 o'clock as well. Uh, some time for your text, too. Uh, and this one, getting back to the whole question of China and the two Michaels. Uh, regarding the plight of the two Michaels, to keep them from falling under the radar, all airplanes flying to China and Hong Kong would have pictures of the two Michaels painted on the planes, also with words saying, free our Michaels. This would include all planes from G7 countries, put pictures of flags from all these countries on the planes. This would send a message to China that we won't let this go away. This would also be the most effective display to send to China at the Olympic Games. Yeah, it would be, certainly be provocative. It's interesting. I wonder what kind of a response that would get from China. And maybe it puts the, the airlines in kind of an awkward position to sort of be the messenger for our, our foreign policy positions. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. That would certainly get their attention. We had a call earlier to talk about manufacturing. And I don't know if it's as simplistic as it. It says, Rob, I think Canada needs to start manufacturing a lot of things that are made in China. I'm sure it might cost a little more, but we need to cut out China a lot of things we get from that country. Everything you look at says made in China. Well, it would cost a lot more, for one. Uh, and, and for two, I mean, look, there, there are other options, right? We've got now the Trans-Pacific Partnership. There are other countries that, that we could have those kinds of trading relationships with. You know, Vietnam's an obvious one. You know, maybe fostering more of those relationships with India. I think there are alternatives to China. 
I, I don't know if, if it makes sense to do a lot of that manufacturing here, just in terms of the cost and, and, and all of that. Plus, I think, you know, it's not as though we, we've lost a lot of those manufacturing jobs. There is still a lot of manufacturing that happens here, but, you know, a lot of it's automated now. So I'm not sure if that's necessarily the, the way we need to go, but I get there's a frustration in that we're so economically dependent on China. So the, if the idea is let's find ways of being a lot less dependent on China. I'm, I'm all for that. All right. Much more to get to on the program here today. Rob Breckenridge with you on the Chorus Radio Network. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.